0: Low Burn Media, an evergreen podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Now to a dramatic turn in the story of John Walsh. As you know, he's made a career out of helping police solve crimes on his TV show, America's Most Wanted. But there was one case he couldn't crack, the murder of his own son, Adam. Now more than a quarter century after the six-year-old disappeared, police in South Florida have declared the case solved. Here's Kelly Cobiella any specifics here when you have
1: a... They're the words John and Rave Walsh had been longing to hear for 27 years.
0: It is our determination and conclusion
1: that Otis Toole was the abductor and murderer of Adam Walsh. A definitive answer as to who killed their six-year-old son, Adam Walsh, the smiling boy in the baseball cap. It was Otis Toole, a drifter and violent pedophile who died in prison 12 years ago. This is a wonderful, wonderful day, in spite of why we're here.
0: For uh, 27 years, we've been asking, who could take a six-year-old boy and murder him and decapitate him? Who? We needed to know.
1: Adam Walsh disappeared from a Sears store in Hollywood, Florida in 1981. He had been there with his mother.
0: Rave said, Adam, I'll be in the lamp department two hours over, and he said, Mommy, I know where that is and uh, 10 minutes later she returned and he was gone.
1: Two weeks after he vanished, fishermen found the boy's decapitated head in a canal more than 100 miles away. The rest of his body was never found.
0: The next of kin is being
1: notified at this point in time Tool, a serial killer, was a suspect from the beginning, but police acknowledge missteps in the investigation, losing bloody carpet from Tool's car, then the car itself. Despite that, police say the circumstantial evidence is overwhelming.
0: This is a day that's long overdue, truly
1: is. After Adam's murder, John Walsh became an activist for missing children, launching a TV show to track down violent criminals. This is a bad day for you. Pushing for laws to help parents. It's
0: now my high honor to sign the Adam Walsh Child Protection and Safety Act.
1: Today, he had a message for those parents. Don't give up, Hope. Don't give up, Hope. Walsh said there is no closure, only justice, and his family finally has it. Kelly Cobiella, CBS News, Hollywood, Florida.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 195 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Killer Podcasts, and Evergreen Podcast production. I'm pretty excited about the last few weeks of the show. We've had uh, some amazing guests. Uh, Last week, we were lucky enough to have Nancy Grace, the one and only Nancy Grace, and then we had Nick from the True Crime Garage, as well as Kelly Brink, the host of True Crime IRL. So... If you have any interest in checking out their shows, I would recommend them highly. Uh, Again, they are fabulous shows, and again, I was lucky enough to have them as guests. As you know, if you're a listener, Nick has been a part of the show since I started the show, meaning that he's on frequently. And I appreciate every time that he comes on and shares some of his time with the gang it, Who Killed. And again, he's been very helpful in getting this whole thing started. So on this week's episode, we are going to look back at a case from 1981. And now that I'm located in Denver, I figured I would pick a local case. And I decided to settle on one Sylvia Quayle, who was 34. Now she was found dead inside her Cherry Hill's home in August of 1981. Now, the interesting thing about these cases, the one, especially the ones in Colorado, is that I have started to discover a pattern. And that pattern is that when you start going down this little rabbit hole of these other unsolved cases, you see a connection to pretty much A lot of different serial killers. And Quayle was a graduate of Englewood High School. Now, she was killed by someone who broke into her home on August 3rd or possibly early on August 4th. And this is according to police. Investigators noted in an affidavit that the phone line into her home had actually been cut, which is scary and the screen to a bathroom window had been removed and was found about 75 feet away from the home. And that's not very comforting. Outside the home, below the window, police found several items that appeared to be from the bathroom. Now, again, this is all in the affidavit. There was a small prime mark on the bottom of the window frame. And, of course, this was a wooden frame, so that's why it was able to show up. And according to the affidavit, the younger sister, uh, around 11 p.m. on August 3rd, is uh, one of the last people to see her. And this was on the 3800 block of South Ogden Street. Now, again, Quayle was found naked on the living room floor of her home. And the people that responded, the investigators, said that her hands were covered in blood And she had appeared to have broken fingernails, which is, if you've ever seen any horror movie, that has got to be the worst scene ever when somebody is struggling to get away and their fingernails snap. It is one of the uh, most awful things you can imagine. It's definitely something that pops up in Silence of the Lambs. So, you know, just one of those weird, uh, creepy... Uh, things you think about as a uh, true crime podcaster, <laughs> you know. Sometimes our minds go some interesting directions. So Sylvia, you know, her case went cold really fast. But in 1983, someone you may know, a drifter named Otis Elwood Tool, confessed to killing Sylvia. And then he was formally charged with first-degree murder. So Toole, who along with everyone's favorite other boogeyman, Henry Lee Lucas, had confessed to mm, a myriad of crimes, you could say, and a splendid amount of killings. Meaning they were taking credit for a lot of things they probably didn't do. And this is according to CBI, you know, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation. And, you know, Toole apparently did know some of the details of the crime. He was able to describe the trees and the hedges around the quail's home. However, authorities came to question uh, numerous confessions Toole made, and many cases were unfortunately dropped. But this is what's so interesting about these cases out in Colorado, is that when you're in the middle of the country you kind of have a lot of people coming in and coming out of the state. So you do become a transient sort of town where people can kind of come and go as they please. Now, the Arapahoe County District Attorney, Bob Gallagher, did drop the charges in 1993. This was actually after DNA testing showed that Tool's DNA did not actually match the material that had been found at the scene and left by the killer. So, you have a case where you have a serial confessor. Now, we talked about Larry Dwayne Hall a few weeks back and the show Blackbird, and they talk about being a serial confessor and what that actually means. And, in my opinion, um, these guys are definitely in that category. So, do they... Commit these crimes? Yeah, most likely they commit some of them, but I think there's also a, a bit of ego that goes into their rationale for why they, um, you know, do this kind of stuff. Because it's not very common to just start confessing to things you didn't necessarily do. Not talking about false confessions. That's a whole other subject. But this is somebody who's already been caught for something and is now bragging. I guess you could say bragging about his accomplishments. So you know, as I said, when I went to look into this case, it was interesting that it had been, quote unquote, "solved in 2021. And I'm going to get that to that later because that kind of is what makes this case so interesting. Otis Toole basically threw a wrench into a investigation that had nothing to do with him. I mean, this dude lived, was living, basically, and this is uh, from the Fort Lauderdale News. They actually did a really good expose on Otis Toole after he was arrested in Florida. And they say, quote, For years, Toole was living the life of an invisible person. No job, no home, no roots. He traveled around the country dozens of times. So much, even he can't tell you where he was during a certain month, in a certain year. And this is according to the CBI director, Carl Whiteside. And when you have a person like that, living day-to-day existence, there's no way in hell of tracking them. You're talking about a guy who would drive 48 hours straight, a guy who wandered around but with no set pattern. Again, this is according to Whiteside. And he had interviewed Tool for more than five hours on October 20th of 1983. Now, the guys, Tool and Lucas, uh, you know, like I mentioned, they're drifters, they're loners. He did say that they didn't stay at the Holiday Inn and they did not pay with a Visa card, quote-unquote. So, you know, clearly these guys were just kind of getting by. So, there was a lack of physical evidence in uh, some of these cases. Um, Tool had confessed to the 1981 abduction of six-year-old Adam Walsh, and that should sound familiar because when Kelly Brink was on just recently, we did discuss Adam Walsh and the possibility of Jeffrey Dahmer being involved, and then you have here Otis Toole confessing to the murder. So it's just kind of weird how people want to go and take claim for things that are just so unsavory. Now, again, Colorado police had a far different situation. Now, they, had a, they said that they had a blonde, balding Jacksonville man who provided them with a detailed account of the murder of Sylvia Quayle. And, again, this took place 1,700 miles away from where this arrest, when he was arrested, took place and from where Adam Walsh was apparently taken. So, this is what they say. Quote, The first thing we thought about this week was after the Walsh murder, but Toole provided us with such stark details of the Quail murder, we knew he did it. And with the pattern of his travels... It's not beyond the reason that he could have committed both crimes. Whiteside said Tool could not remember the date of the murder, only that in the summer of nineteen eighty one, I shot this lady through a bedroom window, and unlike the detectives in Hollywood, Florida, who were investigating the Adam Walsh crime, you know, they didn't um have a crime scene immediately following the killing and so again. Colorado police were left with evidence, but what do you do with evidence if you don't have any way of connecting that to any individual? So, in 1983, uh, the Colorado police did file first-degree murder charges against Toole in Quail's slaying. Again, he told investigators that he revealed a great deal about the unemployed roofer's lifestyle, and uh, again... <laughs> This is not knocking a business because everybody's got to make money, but definitely in the roofing industry, it is hard to decide who is a good guy and who is a bad guy because you see a lot of uh, drifters in that industry. And so, anyway, that's my two cents on that. But according to Tool, he killed the woman and then stole food from her refrigerator and kitchen. He looked for jewelry and money, and this is according to Whiteside from the CBI. Quote, he was hungry and broke, so he drove to an affluent area to steal valuables. That's how he lived, stealing and killing. You can only describe Tool as very bizarre. All told, Toole has now been charged in connection with the deaths of five people in four states. He has yet to be charged in the Walsh murder and is the prime suspect in two killings in Oklahoma City. At the time of this publishing, of this article that is, the deaths include, on February 1st, 1982, Sherry Elford, 16, who was found stabbed to death near Monroe, Louisiana. Tool has been charged with her murder. January 4th, 1982, Nicholas Sonnenberg, who died in a Jacksonville fire that was later ruled an arson. Tool was charged with arson and murder. August 3rd, 1981, Sylvia May Quayle. Again, he's charged with her murder. And... It just, you'll see. Uh, July twenty seventh, 1981, Adam Walsh, 6, of Hollywood, Florida. Again, Tool wasn't charged at that time, and I don't know, and I'm not entirely sure if he eventually was charged, but I know that Adam Walsh has, or John, I apologize, John Walsh has become much more of a believer in Toole's confession, As time's gone on, I'm not necessarily going to be the one that says he's wrong because it's his son and he knows more about true crime than I will ever know. And the only thing my thought is is that it becomes very hard to fight uh, a battle against somebody you'd think is... Not telling you the truth. And when it's the death of your child, and I don't know this personally because I don't have children, I could only imagine that it would be easier to find closure if you had a person to choose and say, yeah, this is the guy that did it. So I hope it... I don't know, Hope is a bad word to say because nothing about Adam's case is... Helpful, or, I mean, everything about it is awful. The only thing that came out of that that was positive was the amazing, you know, show uh, America's Most Wanted and John Walsh's advocacy. I mean, he's been an advocate for so many families throughout the years. So I just want to say that uh, I never speak of his death lightly because it is the worst possible thing to imagine, especially when you read the details, which we are not going to go into. So, on December 15th, 1980, Carl Wayne Garrison, 35, he was found shot to death in a rural area near Oklahoma City. Now, again, this is one of those killings that Toole was not charged with at this point in time. In April 10th, 1979, Arlie Bell Killian, 19, was found stabbed and decapitated in an Oklahoma City urban renewal project. Now, again, Tool has not been charged, but, you know, points to him in this particular case. Then again, on April 4th, 1978, Kevin K., 19, and his girlfriend Rita Salazar, 18, were found murdered near Georgetown, Texas. Tool was charged with the killing of Kay and kidnapping Miss Salazar. So again, as I mentioned before, this is a case that I went into went into looking for answers about Sylvia Quayle. And by 1983, you have somebody confessing to the crime. Now, of course, this person is questionable. So what do we do? Do we continue to pursue him as the possible killer? I mean, again, this is a guy who basically lived on the road. And police and detectives said his nomadic travels and suspected murder, you know, like he <laughs> like he just has so much stuff out there that it's so hard to tag him for any of this stuff exactly. And so... All I will say about this is that he has been around the block and Tool's random jir- journeys, now this is according to um, the Fort Lauderdale News, often in the company of his lover, Henry Lee Lucas, but sometimes alone, have attracted the interested interest of homicide detectives in seven states. They believe the men collectively and individually may be responsible for, listen to this, more than 200 murders. Let that sit it for a second. So, pretty crazy when you think about it. 200 murders. It seems almost like an unrealistic number, but this is the 1980s. We had lots of panic attacks, <laughs> satanic panic uh music i don't know i mean there were just so many panics uh cult panics it just i can't even say i mean baby oh gosh babysitters being accused of satanism it's just it's a, the 80s were a time period that if you didn't live in it you didn't miss much but man it was interesting to live in for sure So, Lucas, at this time in 1983, was being held in Denton, Texas, and he was actually serving a 75-year sentence for murdering an 80-year-old woman. And he was still awaiting charges on that he killed Tool's niece. Now, that's a lovely thought, isn't it? But because Tool, 36, often lived in his rusted-out Cadillac, or 1974 station wagon, you know, and stealing food... And money, he traveled, detectives said placing him in a specific area at the time of an unsolved murder is basically impossible. So, quote, for years, Tool was living as an invisible person. No job, no home, no roots. I think I've mentioned this before. He traveled around the country dozens of times. So much, he can't tell you where he was. And that, again, is the quote from Carl Whiteside, who was the deputy director of the CBI. And you know clearly he is aware that this individual is insane, and so, you know, you like you got a guy who this is what they say you're talking about a guy who would drive 48 hours straight and who would wander around with no set pattern. You know, it's just funny to think that he was, um, you know sort of broadcast as this guy in all these different papers and Whiteside just painted him as this total drifter. And, um, uh, I think it's so funny. Um, but tool kind of deserves it because he's kind of insane and kind of an asshole, to be honest with you. I mean, anybody who murders kids and tell anybody who murders anybody is an asshole. So screw him. And, uh, According to Whiteside, well, actually, this is according to the police spokesman Ron Pagano of the uh, Hollywood Police Department. And he said, quote, Tool did it. He is the suspect. And we're 99% sure he did it. So that's why the search was halted. And this was in regards to Adams' search. Now, the detectives were trying to find Adam's fingerprint in Tool's car, and they did find evidence that he was in South Florida at the time of the killing. But again, like we mentioned with Kelly Brink, so was Jeffrey Dahmer. Does that mean Jeffrey Dahmer killed Adam Walsh? I don't think so, but does it mean Otis Tool did? I don't know. Maybe? I mean, I've done enough of these shows and listened to enough of these shows to understand that It's most likely just some random person that just committed this crime and not one of these serial killers. But it is what it is. So uh, here we go. I mean, this is where we are. And like I had mentioned before, you know, they charge him with the murder of Sylvia Quayle. And that's all good and stuff, but, (sighs) you know, it's 1983 at this point. They're really, how do I put it? They're really um, picking it What's the cliche that I'm looking for? <laughs> anyway, who cares? It doesn't matter. They're they have nothing, and so Otis Tool confesses to this killing, and so this brings the, uh, you know, the investigators out to Florida. The inve- Investigate him And then they decide that there's enough evidence to um, Charge him With the Quail murder So 1983 Technology's not there Got a guy confessing Knows some of the details He's definitely a killer Can't blame the detectives And Especially when you have a guy that's this Freaking crazy I mean (laughs) Tool is, you know, not a small guy, and you think about some of these shows that we've watched. I'm sure we've all watched them. Uh, Mind Hunter with, you know, the co-ed killer with Edmund Kemper. I mean, big man. And then you had uh, Larry Dwayne Hall, who was a small man, but he was, a, he was wide, a wide man and could overpower in that regard. So you have Otis Tool... And his choice of killing was shooting, stabbing, or choking. Heck, he beat the brains out of some people. And he could beat them with a tire iron. He didn't really care. He says, I'm capable of just about anything, even running over people in a car. Now, this is what Toole told a Texas investigator that had him for killing his routine as mowing the lawn. Volunteered that he tasted the organs of a victim. <laughs> what is he doing telling this to the people? I mean, he's insane. He's insane. Now, of course, you know, his buddy and lover, uh, Henry Lee Lucas, also um, admitted to similar acts of cannibalism. And I just can't find this to be something that you would want to confess to unless you actually did it. So I'll go with you on this one, Tool. You are nuts. So, I'll believe you ate some organs. Nothing crazy about that. Now, this is what uh, Tool said. Quote, It relieves the tension in your mind. It calms the mind down. Whatever mind you've got, Tool gave police his rationale for cutting people. I shot different ones all over different parts of different states. I'd be driving down a dirt road and shoot someone who was walking nearby. then leave without seeing if they're dead what a fucking psychopath i mean jesus i mean this guy is nuts and of course he is the person that is clearly who they thought killed sylvia quail because he confessed to it now it was quote after she was stabbed she kept saying different things but I didn't pay much mind. They usually ask, why we are messing with them and stuff? They mostly cry. When someone sees a butcher knife, they're going to think you're going to kill them or something. So this is him in regards to what happened with the Quail murder. So he's making up these incidents. He's making up basically quotes that didn't happen. And Toole goes on to say, and they say this in the article, uh, Tool adds this warning to avoid others who kill for recreation. Quote, don't get in cars with people and don't get caught in the middle of nowhere. Well, thanks for the freaking advice from the psychopath in the fucking rusted out Cadillac and his buddy Henry Lee Lucas. I mean, just go on Netflix and watch that jackass. My goodness, these guys rolling around this country. Wow. Let's just say we're all better off. So when Lucas was arrested in Texas in June, Toole was being held in Duval County Jail in Jacksonville, Florida, and that was on the arson charge of that murder. And, uh, you know, that's pretty awful. So <laughs> this is, again, where the newspapers just jump at the big numbers. So reports of Lucas claimed murders about a 100 at that point, were splashed across newspapers, and an alarmed Toole asked a friend at a court hearing not to tell reporters or the police that he knew Lucas. Soon afterward, police learned that the two traveled and killed together, and Toole matched the fervor of Lucas in confessing murder after murder. He estimates that he has killed 50 people by his own admission. Toole has been an arsonist since childhood, and he has since set two fires for which he is sentenced to 20 years in prison. And that was the summer before this article was written. Now, he set the two houses ablaze with newspapers and gasoline, then sat and watched them burn. Now, this is according to a psychologist, or psychiatrist, I should say. Now, a psychologist report, prepared before Toole had confessed to murder, concluded that Toole had a borderline character disorder. Quote, at times he fancies he hears voices saying he should kill himself and go to rest. These occur when he is asleep and sometimes when he is awake. He regards the origins of these voices as from his mind or from the devil. He has no homicide thoughts and is not given to violence, the report said. Quote, he has always been a loner, tends to avoid people, being sensitive about them because they would insult him. When he was a youngster, calling him a retard. Toole says he was hit in the head with a rock when he was a child and has suffered seizures ever since. He dropped out of school when he was in the seventh grade. This article goes on to say that Toole dressed like a woman to pick up men and frequented adult movie houses. He married twice to see if he could change his sexual preference. And when he was examined in July of '83. Tool thought Lyndon Johnson was president. So, needless to say, at this point in time, Tool's just fucking lost his mind. Now, Tool did admit to drinking about half a pint of whiskey and several six-packs every night. If you would have just stopped at the half a pint of whiskey, you probably would have been okay, but several six-packs? Jeez. Quote, I'd stay pretty much messed up all the time when we were out, Tool told investigators. Quote, i drink all the time and pop pills. Smoke that pot. I'd stay pretty well high all the time. Well, nothing wrong with that, Tool, except for the fact that you're a fucking murderer. Despite his criminal record and drug and alcohol abuse, sexual problems, and at least one suicide attempt, guess what? Tool never got any psychiatric care. Yay, America! So, you know, there's another article that goes on to talk about how these two characters really are Two of a Kind, and it was written for the Star-Telegram, and it was written by um, Gail Reeves, and she wrote that every few days, Betty Goodyear gets a call from the Jacksonville, Florida jail. It's one of her former boarders, Otis Elwood Toole. The voice at the other end of the telephone is soft, with a pronounced lisp. It doesn't vary regardless of whether Toole is telling his former Jacksonville landlady about killing a six-year-old boy, or occasionally practicing cannibalism, or more recently, denying that he killed all of those people. So, his IQ is slightly above the retarded level. Now, this is from 1983, so that is a medical term at that time, and it is not necessarily politically correct at this time and day, but it is what is there. He was married twice, as I mentioned before. Now, again, he used to go to bars and pick up men, and then, you know, he would flirt with the police officers who would interview him. Uh, He used to lie on his mother's grave at night, and the earth would grow warm and move beneath him. This dude's a whack job. He said he burned down her house, and other psychiatrists say he is a pyromaniac who gets a sexual thrill from starting fires. Wow, this is somebody you want to have in your family. On request, he will demonstrate on his own neck how to strangle a person. Toole might have lurked around the alleys of Jacksonville's Springfield neighborhood and the yards of Rayford Prison 40 miles away for the rest of his life without much notice if it weren't for the man he fell in love with. He says he loves Lucas, the one-eyed drifter who has been making admissions almost nonstop to murder and mayhem since he landed behind bars in Texas. Now, again, this (laughs) is—they're up to 250 people now in eight years that they've killed. This is according to the newspaper. So when Lucas was arrested, Tool was in Jacksonville Jail, again, on the arson charge. And at first, Tool told police that he knew Lucas and had traveled with him, but he knew nothing, absolutely nothing, about the killings. Now, he did eventually change that story. Then, of course, you know, as I mentioned before, they did figure out that he did know Lucas. He said that he had been present at some of them and, you know, that he too was actually a killer and probably killed 70 people. Typical confession to the normal guy. Otis Toole, what a fucking tool! Despite the prison sentence, Toole remained in the Jacksonville jail because he is about to be tried on another charge and because so many police officers want to interview him. People long ago started writing to Lucas and Toole with proposals for books and movies about the macabre saga. Goodyear said Toole was led to believe that he would receive $3 million for rights to his story. Now, who was supposed to pay him or where he hoped to spend that money, considering that he was already serving time and facing trial and capital murder? Well, he never said anything about that. Quote, I asked him, is $3 million worth your life? Do you know you're facing the electric chair? Tool's former landlady said. She, he responded, quote, or no, she, she actually said, quote, he called me back a few days and said, you're right, my lawyer told me I'm going to the electric chair if I'm convicted. <laughs> she said he told her that he had been making bogus, bogus confessions because I was upset about my nerves all messed up. That makes no sense whatsoever, <laughs> so... Glad that made that into the paper. So a little, little bit about Otis Stuhl is normal. So I guess that kind of makes sense. I mean, his appearance, his background, the stories he tells, the way he lived. I mean, he was born in Jacksonville, spent most of his life in a shitty neighborhood. Uh, you know, prostitution was a pretty norm, normal thing around him. Alcoholism, violence, poverty. Um, according to most of the information gathered by police, Tool and Lucas did both have an alcoholic father, and again, their mother, the only family member with whom he was close with, actually suffered from mental illness. So, the youngest of nine children, Tool had run away from home, and anytime you run away from home, well, that's never going to be a good thing for anybody, let alone the person that actually did the running away. So, one of the brothers has been in the mental institution. One sister has attempted suicide. Another brother has spent time in jail. For minor offenses. While well, another sister has married and has. <laughs> She's been married as many as 14 times, but she died of a drug overdose. Now she was the mother of Frida Powell, the 15 year old who traveled with Lucas and whom Lucas stabbed to death in the summer of 1982. Well, that's just freaking fantastic. What an uncle. Like Lucas, who was shunned because of, when, because of his glass eye, Tool avoided other children because they teased him and called him retard. I mentioned that before. Now, and again, he dropped out of school early. Um, now, it was early in his teenage years that he started showing up in police records. And of course, this was because of his joy of arson. Um, now, Tool met Lucas at a Jacksonville rescue mission, and this actually brought him to his mother's house. Um, he actually brought him to his mother's house, Georgia Toole said. And neither she nor Goodyear knew of Toole having a steady male lover, except for Lucas. Tool had done some traveling on his own before he met Lucas, as his police records showed. But it was, again, difficult for investigators to say where he was because he could barely read highway signs. How this guy even drove, I have no idea, or read a menu is beyond me. So after Lucas and Duel met, they began the travels that officials believe were fatal to so many different people. Hitchhikers, travelers, stranded with car trouble, people living in lonely, out-of-the-way houses. It just goes on and on. Now they've said they've killed their victims in so many different ways that Texas Ranger Sergeant Bob Prince said the only common factor is, quote-unquote, overkill. Assaulting a victim over and over beyond death. That's disturbing, Um, because overkill usually is a personal thing. So there was definitely some serious hate there, and that's uh, one of those things you do when you get uh, abandoned by certain people in your life, and I can see how that would be definitely a trigger moment. Um, Again, you know... (sighs) Tool it's hard to read, is really hard to read. In this article he says he's gotten emotional only when talking about six year old Adam Walsh, whose kidnapping and slain were the basis of a television movie and the impetus of legislation related to missing children. Toole admitted to it, then retracted the statement, and later went back to saying that he did it. Again, he's ne- never been charged in the case. I'm gonna go with John. Just, Tool did it, he's crazy, and we're going to move on with our lives. So, in an interview, he said, uh, now this is according to um, a county Texas uh, investigator. He said, quote, he is, in my opinion, a very dangerous and unpredictable individual. Well, no shit. (laughs) I mean, are you kidding me? Botwell said that he is convinced that Lucas was the leader when the two men were together. But when Toole killed, he said the crime, quote, was even more brutal than Henry's. There was even more overkill. Botwell said Toole sometimes tortured his victims before killing them. Byrne said Toole also talks about having buried people alive. I mean, what the what is wrong with these men? And they both said that Toole repeatedly has admitted to cooking and eating body parts of some of his victims. Well, that would go back to the tasting of the organs that we were talking about. And then again, back to which the trial for which Toole was actually up on, and that was the slaying of a 64-year-old George Sonnenberg who died in a fire that Toole says he had set with Lucas's help. The fire was in one of Goodyear's rooming houses. Now, she's not convinced he did it, or that he ever killed anybody. He told her he has been lying to police about the killers. Quote, he wanted the publicity, sort of, Goodyear said. If he had someone to help him kill, like Lucas, I could see him as a killer. But by himself, never. He was always too scared of everything. So the article's next section goes on to state, which should investigators believe the tool who says he is a killer or the one who says he is not on occasion he has told police where a body would be found but the search turned up nothing he has given admissions that didn't completely jibe with the facts of the cases he admitted killing the walsh child shortly after the television show the boy's body was never found although tool did lead officers to where he said he buried it and yet about that time, authorities start to doubt a case comes along where Tool can describe a slaying, like replaying a tape giving facts that had never been made public, that only a killer or witness should know. Or, as in the Walsh case, other evidence will match. Blood from the seat of a car Tool used matched that of, six, of the six year old. Well, there you go. That's a good connection. So, there are a few guide points to follow in dealing with Tool's stories of mass killing and perversion. Bowell said there is a good chance that after the Jacksonville trial, Williamson County will get custody of Toole to try him for the two killings that in which he has been charged with murder. And the sheriff said Toole has said he wants to come to Texas for those trials so he can be closer to Lucas. So a quick timeline. It's not very quick because it's pretty long. In addition to the arson charge for which he was serving a 20-year prison sentence in Florida, There were 10 murder cases in four other states. So you had Texas in November seventh, nineteen 1978. Tool is charged with capital murder in the death of Kevin K., 19, of Austin. And again, this is also the aggravated kidnapping of Key's companion, 18-year-old Rita Salazar. Now, we did mention that earlier. So some of these things are are kind of... um, Some of these are becoming redundant, but it is something of note that on November 4th, 1980 tool was in Texas and that's not all that far from Colorado. I mean, it is a drive, but again, this is the guy who would get in his car and drive for 48 straight hours. So, you know, April 4th, 1981 tool and Lucas are charged with the first degree murder in the death of Kathy J. Wharton, who was 19 years old and she was a student and they said they ran their car into the back of Wharton's vehicle on the morning of her death, then abducted her at gunpoint when she got out to talk to them. Now, both of those murders, or at least that murder carries the possibility of death penalty in Louisiana, Uh, Colorado, August 3rd, 1981 tool is charged with, okay. So August 3rd, this is when they do charge him with the killing of Sylvia Quayle. And, Again, I'm not sure exactly how that comes about because, again, they didn't get the confession until 83, but, again, her death was on August 3rd, 3rd, 1981, so it makes sense, I guess. And so here we have, I mean, he's just basically, if these guys killed as many people as they say, they would have been killing every day nonstop. Could they have done it? Absolutely. But I'm not going to run through everybody here because they have said they've done so many different things. So let's just stick with what we know. So what we know here is that it is 2022. And this article I'm going to reference is uh, from July of this year. And I mentioned early in the episode that Otis Toole, and I just mentioned it again, that he had been charged with this murder. Now, of course, in ninety three of 1993, they dropped those charges because the DNA did not match. So, that case became an open investigation once again. So, what happens in 2001 is that the technology has finally reached a point where they can distribute or hand out some to these uh, companies that do genetic genealogy. So, uh, it was on uh, June 30th, actually, that uh, a jury in Arapahoe County convicted 62-year-old David Dwayne Anderson of murdering Sylvia Quayle in the Cherry Hills Village more than four decades earlier. Now, Quayle, again, was found murdered in her home on the 3800 block of South Ogden Street on August 4th, 1981. I'm not going to go through the details because they are depressing. And, you know, uh, they do state in this article, and I believe this is from Nine News, that progress in finding Quayle's killer was agonizingly slow. Investigators collected 140 pieces of evidence, which it sounds like a lot, but I don't know. And then two years later, testing of an area rug revealed so called foreign material that might offer opportunities for DNA testing. But it took until 1995 for the rug to be sent to the CBI for analysis and other, another five years for that DNA profile to be developed. So this shit doesn't happen overnight, and as much as CSI makes it seem like it does, unfortunately it doesn't. So not much more happened, according to this article, until recent years, and that was when Cherry Hill's Village Police Department contracted with a company called United Data Connect, overseen by former district attorney Mitch Morrissey now they went through the efforts to connect the profile with individuals listed in the DNA databases followed with Anderson finally identified as the most likely suspect but confirmation didn't come until after cops nabbed the vanilla Coke can from Anderson's trash. This was on January 18, 2021. And it was 11 days later that DNA results confirmed their suspicions. So, things have advanced significantly in five years. So, Of course, this conviction was not guaranteed, but uh, they did proceed with the case. And there was a mistrial, unfortunately, declared in March of this year, but uh, jurors did uh, return in June 30th, and that is when they convicted Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson, you are convicted of murder. Now, he is scheduled to be sentenced. I have not looked at the sentence. Um, But it's most likely going to be life in prison without the possibility of parole after 20 years. Well, I don't know about that. But again, the case has come to a close. The point of this whole episode is to not necessarily buy into whatever a killer tells you. You have to look at all the facts. And I know that it's very difficult to do this in every single case, but let's be honest with ourselves. And if you have somebody confessing to hundreds of murders, you gotta take a second to step back and say, is this stuff even realistic? Did he really do all of these crimes? And again, it makes it such a hassle for investigators who are then stuck with the belief that people think, oh, no, Otis Toole did this. And then, you know, this guy, David Dwayne Anderson, is just cruising around, just like, hey, man, I'm free. Everybody thinks I'm innocent. This is great. (laughs) So the bottom line is don't believe everything you're told. Uh, This guy is going to be gone for 20 years. He's 62 I would highly doubt that he is going to be getting out and doing anything that, um, you know, would cause uh, an issue at the age of 82. Not to say that you can't kill somebody at 82, because we have seen that happen. But, again, two counts of first-degree murder in connection with Quayle. And, uh, you know, this is a—it's uh, good stuff. I mean, he was arrested in Nebraska in February 2021, and... Uh, all this stuff just it's amazing to think that when you start looking to the case of Sylvia Quayle, you end up on the trail of two of the most notorious serial confessors in the world of murder, true crime profiling, you name it, whatever, but these two guys are definitely trash. And Otis tool is trash. and I hope that the Quail family will be able to have some peace if there are any relatives out there. I know that um, her parents have passed away. so uh, hopefully this will uh, provide some closure, which there never is, but uh, you can thank the um, you know United Data Connect uh, you know, they went to Anderson's residence in Coza, Nebraska. In January 2021, that's where they got the trash bags. And that's where they also collected the DNA sample. So, again, every state's different. You can't do this in every state, but apparently in Nebraska you can. So, we are lucky enough that uh, he has been brought to justice. And Otis Tool has been, once again, proven to be nothing more than a giant lying POS. And on that note, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman. As always, I drop new episodes on Fridays wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so via Venmo with my username at Bill-Huffman-3 that's the number 3. Or via PayPal with my paypal account which you can find on my website uh, slowburnmedia.com that's slow minus the w you can also follow me on twitter at billhuffman three if you're interested in following any news that i have about the shows that i've covered and shows that i have coming down the pipeline thank you guys so much again for listening this week it's been a pleasure thanks so much to nick nancy grace kelly brink and many, many others for making this show possible. And many thanks to Evergreen Podcasts, Killer Podcasts, and of course Slowburn Media. And on that note, everybody, stay healthy and be safe. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! computer solitaire huh Ah, <sighs> oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games join today
1: and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com the truth about the haditha massacre has been covered up but not anymore I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wuderick. And me, Murder in House Two, a new podcast from Crowd Network.